0: Hello and welcome to the Ambassador Labs podcast, where we explore all things about cloud-native platforms, developer control planes, and developer experience. I'm your host, Daniel Bryant, head of DevRel here at Ambassador Labs, and today I had the pleasure of sitting down with Nikki Watt, CEO and CTO at Open Credo, a tech consultancy based out of London in the UK. Join us for a fantastic discussion covering topics such as building platforms on top of cloud technologies, managing data and the associated risk when developing, and exploring why the cloud-native developer experience is important for all levels in the org chart to understand. And remember, if you want to dive deeper into the motivations for and benefits of a cloud-native developer control plane, or are new to Kubernetes and want to learn more in our free Kubernetes Developer Learning Center, please visit getembassador.io to learn more. Welcome, Nikki. Many thanks for joining us today. Could you introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Sure
1: thing. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, so my name is Nikki Watt, and I am the CTO-CEO at a company called Open Credo. We're a hands-on software development consultancy, uh, and we help clients to adapt and adopt emerging technologies to solve their business problems. We operate in multiple areas, cloud-native development, um, data platforms, platform engineering, a core part of what we do, and I suppose I personally have been a techie <laughs> most of my life. And been involved in, in quite a few of those uh, sort of projects um, uh, along the way, although not doing nearly as much hands on stuff now <laughs> as I <laughs> was before.
0: Brilliant, Nikki, brilliant. So I was saying off mic, you and I have worked together at Open Credo in the past, yeah. and we had kind of similar roles. And, and unfortunately, it meant we never actually worked on the same project together, right? Because we were often doing different things. Yeah. But we were both acting as developers, like what we now call SRE as well, and we were building platforms. And I'd love to get your thoughts. You know, what do you. What do you see as the evolution of platforms over the last say 5 years? Have we gone from, you know, things like Cloud Foundry and Heroku now onto Kubernetes? Have we gone better or worse do you think in the last 5 years?
1: It's an interesting question. I think I think we're still evolving if if I'm honest. I think we certainly went from the the Heroku Cloud Foundry type things and we I think there was a, a need to get more control for some of the 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 projects. And so as a result, and I think with the likes of Kubernetes coming along, that provided much more granular control over some of the the things and hence the ability to, I think, curate a a different type of platform experience for different um, types of teams, which was great. However, I think Well, Kubernetes is one of the main sort of platforms at the moment that is, you know, it comes with so many knobs and, you know, you can do absolutely anything (laughs) with it. That I think people have also got themselves in quite a knot recently Mm. because there's so many different ways to do it. And so people are, in some cases, veering back towards wanting a bit more of an opinionated Mm. uh, way of actually building some of these platforms. So I think we've we're in a bit of an interesting space at the moment where some people who are maybe sort of more mature or companies more mature in their development or delivery are quite happy with their Kubernetes mm-hmm. setup and, and all platforms, and they're happy to do that. But others are like, are actually looking for a bit more of a curated experience. And so there are things sitting on top of Kubernetes, I think, that are coming down the line to try and help um, clients with that or companies.
0: Yeah, super interesting. So exactly what I'm seeing as well. Where do you think folks are focusing most at the moment? Because, like, again, talking off mic, we were talking about code, ship, and run. You know, as developers, we need to be able to build stuff and debug Mm -hmm. and test. Got to be able to get it out reliably and fast into, say, production with the ship. And then running it, you've got to be able to observe it and maintain it and so forth. Where do you think the most focus is being put at the moment in the ecosystem on that code, that ship, or that run?
1: I think... That's interesting. I mean, specifically on the platforms.
0: Mm, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. So specifically, I think on the platforms, there's a lot around the the shipping and the running side of things. I think mm. there's absolutely you have to build and code in, in order to develop that. But I think because some of the platforms are quite difficult sometimes to to actually run and <laughs> and sort of observe, there's there's a huge demand for that type of skill set and, and 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 role that has come up in the industry so i actually think that there's quite a, a lot of people focusing on that and trying to make it more simple so you know you just have to look at the job market and you know for <laughs> kubernetes infrastructure engineers like devops that's just exploded uh, i think at the moment so i think being able to ship and and get that whole sort of continuous deployment going properly in these platforms. It's one of the key areas where things are, are, are moving. I think in terms of the run, that's it's, it's reducing because there are a lot more Kubernetes as a service type
0: um, oh, offerings
1: yeah. and more platforms as a service type offerings, which are coming up. So, I mean, even for some of our clients, we used to build Kubernetes clusters for people on the sort of, you know, (laughs) or in Amazon. But most most clients nowadays are looking to actually use some of the, you know, the the built-in options that come with the cloud providers or or services that are out there. But being able to actually take what's written and deploy it and do blue greens and do all of those type of things, which actually add value, mm. I think is where the majority of the innovation and and, and the sort of focus is, is happening at the moment.
0: Mm. Super interesting. Super interesting. And what or how important do you think the dev part of this is? Because, again, you know, I remember back in my like early Java days, it was like spin up an, uh, an IDE, IntelliJ, mm-hmm. Oracle JDev, I think was back in the day coding away in my own little world, I could start the monolith, I could hot reload, and I could be super productive. And now I've got to like run Minikube, I've got to build Docker containers and all this kind of stuff, right? As in, how important do you think it is that we should focus on that developer, like almost like a day zero type experience?
1: I mean, I've always been a fan of you know, people having multiple skills and being able to kind of do everything. So it's not not having completely separate roles for developers just do the developing and, you know, uh, ops do ops type thing, hence DevOps, obviously. But... I think it's important that developers are able to understand and have mechanical sympathy. Actually, oh, I love it! Love it. Mm.
0: Um, Martin Thompson, wasn't it? Martin Thompson, that's mm-hmm. correct. Yeah,
1: yeah. So having that sort of understanding and mechanical mm-hmm. sympathy for actually what's going on under the covers means that you build and develop applications better because you understand how distributed systems work and the challenges that come along with that. Mm-hmm. Crucially important for, for for developers to be able to. At least have sympathy for that, but ideally to be able to to actually run it um, themselves. Because if you can, if you or at least if you have a team that's able to take full responsibility within the team, I think that is um, crucially important.
0: I see, Richard, Yeah. Do you see that sort of uh, in general in the industry? Are developers being empowered and are they capable of being empowered for that sort of full life cycle?
1: I think it depends. We have. You know, I'm speaking from from our experience as a consultancy, having gone into different um, clients. And I think culture has a lot to do with that and the Great. way that organizations are set up. So in order to empower developers to be able to do that, your organization needs to understand the benefit of organizing teams in a way to actually allow that to happen. And so I would say for, for organizations that have Understood that benefit. Yes, sometimes the the developers are empowered to do that. In other cases, however, there are still um, silos. And and there's still also a desire, I think, sometimes with some of the larger, sometimes larger clients to build a platform that, you know, will contain developers, if I can put it that way. (laughs) Make sure that that. they don't, you know, deviate too much and and go off-piste. And then you do find that actually developers don't have that freedom when depending on how constrained the, the platform itself is. So I think, yeah, there's it's a bit of a mixed bag on, on mm. that front, but certainly getting to the point where developers are empowered to do that and you just have better teams when when people can, you know, do the, the full gamut of
0: things. It's so tricky. And you know, I remember back from my time at Oak Greedo and, and other places I worked. It's that delicate balance of you almost want guardrails for developers, hmm. right? You, yeah, you, yeah. I, I never found the right phrase for it, but you want to encourage and promote sort of good behaviors, like yeah. good citizens yeah. almost, right, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, if you put too much control over folks, they naturally rebel. Particularly developers, all smart yeah. people, very logical, clearly see the boundaries and want to push them, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I wonder how, perhaps with a consultant mindset, how do you go about educating the middle management or above mm-hmm. to say, hey, developers, they're smart people. let's build guardrails rather than cages or what better analogy
1: yes yes so i mean interestingly i actually wrote an article and i did a a talk on this which is called platform engineering as a community service and part of that is to sort of is to recognize that when you're building a platform it's not just the developers that you are building for. It's also, you know, people like the data scientists, but also the, mm. the management uh, side of things because they are expecting certain um, value to come from a platform. You don't just build a platform for nothing, you know. So yeah. they're looking for economies of scale and and the likes of that. So I think part of this is to sort of convince them that, well to convince them, but basically try and sell the, the upsides, if I can put it that way, of providing... Developers with enough freedom to be able to still innovate. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. if you know if you are so constrained, you you're unable to innovate sort mm. of, too fast. And what we've seen in, in in a few cases is that platforms that are too constrained and they don't have guardrails, but they've got very firm rules, actually slow people down. Mm-hmm. And so providing examples of of maybe where this has worked before, where you you still are able to to innovate, which is where where I think a lot of businesses now really want to focus. So it's not so much on cost savings. There is an element of cost savings, but a lot of companies are trying to innovate at the moment. So really pushing on the innovation side of things means that you have to have a different approach to, to the way that your platform works. If it's purely about constraining and cost savings or whatever, then you'll build it one way. But if your goal is innovation, you have to build and structure differently. And one of the things that I, I mentioned in, in in that talk as well is that you have to have sea level buy-in for this because when you try and build these things from the ground up purely as an engineering um, initiative, it tends to fail and and that's you know not because technically it's it's problematic but it's because it also requires organizational change Mm. and this is also something that I think in in speaking with organizations it's important uh, to realize that there's an organization level evolution which has to happen as part of of that and when I think when c levels and and executives they understand that that actually they need to adapt their organization the allowing developers more sort of freedom and stuff is something which is a little bit easier to sell so Mm -hmm. you've also got to sell on the organizational side of things to allow innovation to happen at the technical level as well
0: very interesting something I've heard you mention, which I haven't actually heard other folks mention, I probably haven't asked the questions in fairness, is the data, right? And mm-hmm. I'm thinking like in terms of innovation, like data is almost like oil, like, like sort of the cliche, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think modern platforms and engineers working on those platforms, how are they set up to deal with the data? Do you think it's kind of good enough at the moment or or not?
1: I, I think that's still a, a whole area where people mm-hmm. are trying to work this out. If I'm honest, I don't know that anyone has a super great answer to to things. I think, you know, being able to build a specific data platform for something is um, is challenging, but doable. Yeah. But when you're trying to build a platform where you're not quite sure what you need, but this needs to deal with data and you've got different people who might want different things, I think it becomes more challenging. And this is where I think new new approaches like the data mesh and yeah, that side that of our things is actually coming out. So that some of the principles that were applied in the, you know, in the service mesh world, we're now looking at actually, maybe we need to apply some of these in the on the data side of things. And actually, again, it's not just the technology, it's teams, the way you're structured, who owns things that that you need to start kind of looking at. So I think this is an area which is still evolving, especially with the sort of rise of ML and AI yeah, yeah. and that whole side of things. It, there's a whole new level of Challenges that come with trying to integrate that into an automated platform because it's not just code anymore. Suddenly, you've got data and you've got other challenges. So there's another level of requirements. Not many people have got very good answers, I don't think, yet in this space. But it's certainly, it's certainly moving in that direction.
0: Yeah, I think similar experience here. Nikki. Like I love um, Jamak Kahani's data mesh stuff. Like very yes. lucky enough to meet Jamak through InfoQ and chat and like super interesting, but totally took away. The culture, the organization, the process is as much as almost the tech is a bit of a sideshow, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was super interesting. And do you, just on that note, do you think the developer experiences would be fundamentally different from someone building ML AI type stuff than typical applications, like you know, our classic Spring Boot app, right? Where you munch some data or whatever at a simple, simple level? Do you think they're fundamentally two different experiences, two different platforms, maybe even?
1: Interesting. I think it also depends on where the emphasis is on the the building of the data side of things. So for example, data engineering and data science are are somewhat different. And the machine learning engineer, I think in a way is trying to straddle some of those worlds. So I think you get different types of developers as well. So some that are more focused on the data engineering side of things or they're more geared towards that then you have those that are more on the data science which is mm. more around experimentation and you know trying to explore data and those are two fundamentally different experiences in 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 my book the data engineer is far more focused on engineering automation and then your data scientist is around the experimentation so from a development perspective i think that there is there is a there's there's sort of a difference um Mm. between those two but if you're going to compare it to for example like building a spring boot application i think there's there is definitely a there is a difference, I think, between, between those two because you've got different challenges. So having to deal with data as a potentially versionable thing is very different oh, to having to deal with code because code is static, whereas data changes and you can control that a lot easier than you can data. So I think there's different challenges to consider, but I mean, fundamentally there's, you know, yeah, there's the engineering aspect to it. I'm not sure if I actually
0: answered that very well. No, that's great so. <laughs> thinking, boys. As you were talking, then I think for me, it's sort of a learning journey as well. And I have bumped into a few folks like Customs and Ambassador Labs or folks in the ecosystem, echoing what you're saying. And the next step they were saying is like continuous delivery is even harder because you really want to test with a preset set of data, like, you know, we've got mm-hmm. like mocks, stubs, all this kind of stuff. It's like the actual model, the success of the model that you're building is mm-hmm. like the criteria. And how do you? manage that data and data's got privacy concerns like Mm. even the ship bit is equally as hard as the code right
1: (laughs) yes yeah because i mean there's the the testing i think is one of the most challenging sides Mm. of things when it's not deterministic so you know when you've got models that are you know coming up with their own logic for for making decisions and things it's very difficult to write unit tests for that, yeah. right? You know, this is what I expect the outcome to be. So from a developer perspective, you might say, oh, I've got unit tests, but integration tests, you know, and it's very sort of set up. But when you've got this data piece in the middle, it's a little bit more difficult, I think, to, to do some of that. And like I say, with having to deal with things like gdpr and those type yeah. of things developers in the past haven't necessarily had to worry too much about that but when you you know if you are working with client data and 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 like pii type data then suddenly you have to become aware of this and and you know the, the impact of that so that's why i think there's maybe also some tooling and things that maybe will get developed to try and help with some of this but as yet it's evolving
0: yeah super interesting super interesting this, um sort of following on from that thought, do you think the cloud has actually made it easier to support those requirements around the data? Because I like know, for example, you can spin up a RDS in Amazon and say, you know, EU only mm-hmm. or whatever, and bolt yeah. a Kubernetes cluster on for, it for processing and you kind of, as long as it stays in the EU, it's kind of good, right? But then you obviously, I mean, like you and I doing a lot of Terraform back in the day, a lot of HashiCorp Terraform to spin mm-hmm. up all these things. I'm sure you, you still do that. I still know and love my HashiCorp uh, Terraform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm kind of wondering, do you think things like cloud the you know db as a service combined with even things like kubernetes as a service do you think it makes it easier for developers to manage compliance or or is it a case of kind of maybe what you hinted at is developers have not had to think about it before but in the cloud native world they kind of do
1: um i mean i certainly think that cloud and the the sort of database and service type uh, offerings help with that. Because first of all, it surfaces some of the uh, sort of Mm. requirements. So you need to choose where am I going to put my data? And then you need to ask, well, why do I need to think about where I'm putting my data? You know, so maybe not so much a developer, but certainly at the architectural Mm. level, you have to take these things into account. And I think some services are better than others at allowing you
0: to,
1: you know, do some of the things. But I think that certainly does help. I think where it starts getting interesting, and maybe maybe this is not so much purely for developers but also for the people managing the developers to understand. you know if you're even if your data is stored in you know some region where it's supposed to be, when you're testing or you need to bring data back and recreate it in order to test things out or or kind of build something. What happens in that case? Is it still, are you still, you know, are you still compliant or now mm-hmm. have you brought the data somewhere else and that's problematic? So I think developers haven't had to necessarily maybe think about some of these things, which I think in one way they need to, but in another way, it's also down to some of the, the folks a little bit higher up to make sure that they also don't land up uh, in problems yeah. with, <laughs> with some of these things.
0: I guess some of that can be built into the platform as well, Nikki. I right? sort of thinking as you're talking there in terms of like when you have that sort of Cloud boundary or like experience, I remember some of the passes I've worked on, even internal ones, kind of had those guidelines built into them. Like yes. it wouldn't let me download data, or if it did, it was um obfuscated in some way. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Yeah. And all and those are the type of I think the type of processes and, and, and things that need to get built into platforms to ensure that the data doesn't land up in the wrong place and things like that. So, so you're absolutely right that having a platform makes that certainly easier to be able to, to sort of control some of that. But again, it comes down to do you even have those guardrails in the platform? So they need mm-hmm. to be there in the first place for people to be able to take advantage of them, which means somebody has to have thought about this. You know, because I think what happens in many cases is that people just build the platform with the infrastructure and the auto scaling and all these things. But sometimes those aspects are not thought about up front and then it becomes slightly problematic later on because, oh, well, now I shouldn't have this data. And, well, you know, maybe it's not quite that easy to, to build it in later. So I think somebody does need to have thought about that. And then yes, build it into the platform and that will make things much easier. But those type of things need to be thought of as front. And that's why I say as a community, you need to kind of think about the data side of things. What are the requirements around that? And and how how does that influence the the building of the platform and the like?
0: That is a great insight, I think, Nikki. And first a final question to wrap this up is have you got any advice based on your sort of years of consulting? How do you get clients to think about that stuff because i know you and i've definitely bought into projects in the past that are kind of halfway through right and it's like uh-oh we need to almost go back to step zero to do the right thinking rather than <laughs> just trying to soldier through and fix this thing have yeah. you got any advice yeah for folks to you know or maybe books to recommend i'm not sure exactly what i'm, I'm looking for here but some mm-hmm. advice to get folks thinking about all the things like developer experience data management visibility like how would you guide a mid-level manager to be thinking about all these things
1: so i mean one of the things which which i like to do is to is to highlight risks actually Love so that. especially for example on on the data side of things you know you can tell people oh, you need to comply with gdpr and you've got to think about making sure that your developers are not going to get into trouble and that makes sense at you know just when sort of talking about it however sometimes that's not enough to actually convince people to actually do things whereas if you phrase the challenge slightly differently imagine the scenario you know where your data has it's been breached and it's now you know you're in the you're in the papers it's like how important is your brand how important is it to you that you're not going to land up in this scenario And, and and many companies are very brand sensitive and that then suddenly strikes a chord where there's going to be a risk to to some of the sort of key either brand or or you know innovation or something like that that can help advocate for for, for building things in a different way or going down sort of different paths. So I think that's one of the um, sort of examples of of how we would do that.
0: I love that that's something I definitely you know took away from my time at Open Credo, like working with yourself and Tarek and other folks. Mm. Risk is such a, a key thing and making it visceral, but not to scare people, yeah. but just to get them thinking about it, right? It's really yeah. a key thing, isn't it? Not just think yeah. about the good things, yeah. think about the bad things.
1: Yeah, it's it's you know, I think as with um, testing, people are very happy to do the green path, you know, green path <laughs> yeah. testing, but it's the what happens when it goes wrong, uh, type mm. scenarios and I think maybe even as humans, sometimes we're, we're not always keen to dwell on the bad things, oh, you know, but but just highlighting it, as you say, not in a negative sense, but just in terms of protecting yourself and company is is something which is is very helpful to do.
0: Super, Nick. Yeah, it's been fantastic chat. Loving the data angle. That's something we haven't covered before. And I think super interesting and super important for folks to, to learn more about. So that's brilliant. Uh, lastly, if folks want to find you on the internet, Nicky, where's best? The Open Creator website?
1: yeah you can grab me on on twitter and probably don't tweet as much as I, I used to in the past but yeah just reach out to me on twitter or linkedin or, or whatever just uh, reach out to me there
0: not a problem i'll be sure to put like definitely reference your article you mentioned i'm sure i've read it um, but i'm going to reread it i'll link in um all the Urban credo and the linkedin as well but thanks once again nikki really appreciate it no worries
1: thank you very much daniel it was great uh, great to chat